Hey, Boker Tov. Today's daf is daf Lamechet, and um, it is a uh, very uh, central daf, as we shall see, about about uh, discussions in the Gemara relating to uh, obligations between uh, Jews and non-Jews. Um, so get ready for that. That's coming up. We start with the Mishnah on Lamed Zayin Amudbet. Let's take a look. If a shore of a lay person, Gordon Ox belonged to the Beis Hamikdash, the Shalhegdash Shanakach Lashor Shalhed Yot, or the Beis Hamikdash Gord that of a lay person, which probably indicates that, since anyway, the opposite of Hekdash is Head Yot, that the first word should have been Head Yot, which as you'll see by the side notes, some switch the gear, so. Okay, so a lay person's ox scores Hekdashes, or Hekdashes scores a lay person's. Patur, you're exempt either way. You might, you might think it's crazy, you know, Hekdash should always be entitled to compensation. They get a privileged position in these types of issues. Nevertheless, from a formal, based on a pasuk, a pasuk, there's exemptions in both directions. Shinemar, as the verse says, Shorei ehu, the low shor shel hektesh. It says, if a person, if an ox scores it's the ox of its neighbor, its fellow's ox, you know, if the ox of a person scores his fellow's ox, then, then only if it's his fellow's ox. Hektesh isn't your friend. So, you know, you know what they tell you in high school? Your principal, he's your pal, whatever. But it's not true about Hektesh and God. God isn't your friend, okay? Hektesh isn't your friend. So it's not your friend's ox, and therefore it's not included in the parsha, and there's a total exemption in both directions. What does the Beit Hamikdash do with their dead ox? I don't know. What do you mean? They sell it or whatever. They sell it. Yeah, sure. Basically, they sell something in Podet, and then the ox goes out to Hulin and whatever money they get from it, and the oxen they have are not necessarily Korban. No, somebody might have donated oxen. They might have it as an investment. Whatever the case might be. Right, exactly. Okay. Um, so anyway, okay. Now, Shur um, Yisrael, that's the first part. Second part. Now, the real Gersa here is not Kna'ani, but Nochri. Um, the standard word, everybody thinks that the, if I, you know, I love doing this when I give a lecture on this topic. Okay, everybody, what's the word in the Gemara for non-Jew? So everybody says, Akum. So says, no. Actually, that is the word that was put in by the censors. Um, the word in the Gemara for non-Jew is either Nochri or Goy. Nochri is like from the Torah. O Machor Nochri. Goy is more, I mean, Goye Haaretz, you know, but anyway, it's more rabbinic term um, and it just means a foreigner right it's a very neutral type of a term um, the problem was was that there's all this uh, stuff in the Gemara that's uh, negative attitudinally or halachically about non-Jews and in the Middle Ages when um, some Jews converted to Christianity and they told the church about all the stuff in the Talmud that spoke out against non-Jews the church got into the business of beginning to either censor or burn the Talmud so as to preempt that the Jews went through a process of self-censorship and they replaced every time it said the word Nachri or Goy in the Gemara or almost every time um, anytime it was even slightly problematic with the word Akum because Akum means Ove Kochavim Mazalos, which means star worshippers so that the Jews could say to the Christians this isn't referring to you it's referring to those pagan star worshippers of course the irony is that some of them began to understand that the word Akum referred to Ovdei C for Jesus' name and then Umeri so anyway so <laughs> they didn't buy that it did not talk, wasn't talking about them they reinterpreted that it was talking about that. But anyway, that's why Akum became the, um, 
became the standard term for non-Jew in the Gemara. However, you know that a Gemara is particularly problematic if it is not using the word Akum, but is using another word like Kena'ani, a Canaanite, which means, oh, these are talking about these ancient Canaanite, these ancient nations that haven't existed for thousands of years. It was never, ever relevant for anybody real in our, like, lived, you know, in our history, and so on. So Kena'ani is a signal that you're really dealing with something problematic. Sometimes it even goes further and says Kena'ani Anas, a violent Kena'ani. And in, uh, in Bubba, later here when we're going to deal with the issue about Gezel Goy. Um, no. It's all... No, but it doesn't matter. It's all been glossed. None of this was from the time of the Mishnah. There's all things that have been censored in the time of the Middle Ages. If you look through Rishonim, the Rishonim's Girsa still is Nochri or Goy with all this stuff. But the printed version since the time of the Middle Ages... Well, it wasn't printed in the Middle Ages anyway with Kanani. There's even one Gemara that actually talks about Amaleki where the original Gemara was Goy or Nochri. So you know you're in for a challenging Gemara from this perspective when it uses the word Kanani. Okay, so the original text was a short show Yisrael Shenachal short show Nochri was the original text a ox of a Jew that caused an ox of a non-Jew or of a Canaanite Patur, you're exempt you don't pay damages but the reverse Vishel Knani or Vishel Nochri Shenachal short show Yisrael if a non-Jew gores that of a Jew whether a tame or a habitual ox pays full damages so it is well, right. This assumes that he's living in Israel and that he's subject to your court system and so on. Okay, so here, the fact that you're exempt wouldn't be so terrible, right? I mean, you know, you're exempt by hectish. It's exempt in both directions as long as it's fair. Okay, it could be it's a different rule as long as it's parallel. But here, it's very unfair. You pay nothing, they pay full. It's unfair in two ways. Also, because they're paying not by the normal rule of half and full, but always full. So we will see that in the Gemara. First we look at Hectic and then we're going to get on to the issue of the Nanchu. Let's take a look at the Gemara. Our Mishnah that says Hectic is totally, your are in both ways with Hectic is not like Rishim Ben-Menasseh. Patur, you're exempt both ways. That's what our Mishnah says. The friend of the ox of your friend and not the ox of Hectic. No, it always works in favor of Hektish. Yes, right, that's what you're used to thinking. If Hektish scores Hedyot, Hektish is exempt. But if a Hedyot one grows Hektish, just like we, we, the Mishnah says about the non Jew, you have Shimba Menachia saying about Hedyot, it always works in favor of Hektish. Okay, so the Mishnah is like this. My Now, we get what the Tanakama holds. The Tanakama holds Re'eu just says when you're, not, when you're dealing with Hektish, there is no liability. All the parts of liability is when you're dealing with a fellow lay person. When you're dealing with hectic, there's none of this liability. But how, what is the logical consistency, a question we're going to ask when we get to the non-Jew case as well, with Rabshimbimanasia? How do you read, unless you say it's like a rabbinic ordinance, but if you think it's biblical, what is the basis to say, no payment in one way, full payment in the other direction? My concern, what does Rabshimbim hold? dafka, if the word re'ehu is supposed to be interpreted in its in a limited technical sense, meaning only a fellow lay person, not hektesh. So then the tour should go in both directions, like the Tanakama says. The Ireu Lav Dafka, if Reu is not being precise, isn't meant in a limited technical way. And by the way, that's worth pausing for a moment to say something about that. Because we are also very habituated. We are very uh, you know uh, trained to believe that anytime a 
Pasuk says, Achicha, Reyecha, Amitcha, it's coming to exclude, well normally we think non-Jew, but also maybe coming to exclude Hexage, that's a technical sense of that word. Uh, I would say that in the Pshad of the Psukim, um, certainly the inter, intra-biblical evidence, is that the only word that clearly, and not even always, but at least sometimes has a limited meaning, is Achicha, for your brother. For example, it says, Lanachri Tashich, Ulachicha Lo Tashich. So the foreigner you can lend with interest, your brother you cannot lend with interest. So it's very clear, at least in some psukim, that the word achicha is in contrast to the foreigner. Well, okay. Ivri or Ivri, yeah. Why would he say Ivri? I don't know. But still, okay, I, I don't know. Anyway, I didn't say it always means that. But clearly there are times where achicha means, it's not, it's not it's, by default it means, clearly there are times that achicha means and not the foreigner. But the word like re'echa and amitcha could be very lavdavka, generic. If you look at some English translations, right, it says, um, let's see, akitin ishmum ba'amito. So it says, there's a lot of translations will say, if one person hits another, right? Amito doesn't mean anything except the other guy, okay? Another person. But, uh, or, you know, or re'echa, okay, literally it means your friend, but it could just be a way of saying another person, right? So if one man's ox scores another man's ox, another's ox. Um, but, so the words re'echa and amitcha in the Pshat of the Psukim, I do not think there's any evidence within the Psukim itself that they ever come to exclude somebody like outside of a particular inner circle. Um, but that is certainly... Jews and non-Jews? Jews and non-Jews, you know, so those living in Israel. Also, everybody well, ha- exactly. Love, your, love, your, love the, your fellow person as yourself. Okay? So it's really an interesting question. But Chazal certainly consistently read re'echa and amitcha to mean those within your circle, meaning your fellow Jews. But I do not think that that's... And then there's times it even means a smaller subset. Right, but I don't think that that is pshat of the psukim. Anyway, that is what Chazal generally interpreted to mean. So the fact that the Gemara here raises the possibility that re'echa is lav davka, I think is interesting. It somehow acknowledges, yeah, sometimes it's a word there, it's not meant in a technical sense to exclude someone else. Nevertheless, it's not really conceding the point I just made, because it's still saying the default meaning is exclusive, is exclusive, but sometimes it's meant a little lavdafka. Okay, but I, as I said, I would argue that the default meaning is not exclusive. That's a specific rabbinic interpretation of that meaning. Yes. Yeah. So again, I don't know if I don't know if that's what I said. It's a good point. I don't know if achicha always means an exclusive sense as opposed to nachri. I know that it sometimes definitely means that, you know, but I don't think you know, there's any evidence that re'echa or amitcha ever mean as opposed to somebody more distant. But you're right, like that type of a puzzle, especially in Kedoshim, there are a couple of psukim that sort of have amitcha and achicha and whatever all sort of thrown in juxtaposed to one another. Okay, so let's take a look. So the Gemara says, um, okay, if it's dafka, then you should be exempt in both directions. If it's lav dafka, then uh, you should be chayiv in both directions. V'ireyu lav dafka, afilu dehektish nami kinok dehadyot lechayiv. Even hektish should have to pay when it goes hadyot. V'chi tema v'olam kasava reyu dafka. No, reyu means in its technical limiting sense to exclude hektish. 
Umiru, so, so then why is Hedyo liable when it grows hectares? The Hedyo, Kinago to hectares, Shaimi time of the Mechaev, when Hedyo grows hectares, she has where it's Chaev, Mishum to Kamaisi, Leimi Kavachomer, because you could just use, you know, logic as an override. The Drosha says everybody's exempt in both directions. But then the logic comes, and that, and that would dictate at least some level of chiyuv. What's the logic? Um, um, because the logic is, if you go of course you should be chayiv. So from the psukim, the technical word of the psukim gets everybody at zero. Logic says okay, but at least misvara you got to pay if you go hectic. Fine, says the Gemara. It's sufficient for what you learned out to be like the original basis of the law. So, so the same way if you're that by a head yoke you pay half for the for, for the tamed ox. So if the basis of paying hectish is the same basis of paying head yoke, it should follow the rule of half and full, not full the entire time. So I get how you could get from the Psukim, Hectish never pays you, that's Ray Ayu. You pay Hectish the same way you would pay head yoke. That would be because of a type of a logic. Okay, but I can't get how Hectish doesn't pay you and you pay Hectish full. Alright, so let's see what the Gemara says. Ela Amarish Lakish says Rish Lakish. Hakol Ayu Bechlal Nezik Shalim. Originally, right now, what you have to understand is that the Psukim have the word Re'ehu by the Tom. It says, Right, Ki Gach Shor Ish Et Shor Re'ehu. Vameit, Vameit, Umacharu Et Ashor Hachai. The Chatsu et Kaspo. That's our half. The Chatsu et Kaspo. Okay, I know. We're not going to worry about that right now. Vagomer. For those who say Kopsu, Paskul, Paskul, Moshe. Okay. Oh, no da. Kishor Nagach, who meets Moshe Shom. Kishor Nagach. Right? Who meets Moshe So this is Tab. Radevalov, Loishman, Vehemi. What is it? Not Vehemi Disho Isha? No, no. Vehemi Disho Isha is different one. Oh, no da. Kishor Nagach, no, it's a different pasuk. It's not key. That, that's the that's the case of the kofar. What's the pasuk? Oh no. Um, oh, kino da kishenan. What? Oh, then. Yes. Yeshua the balav. Shalim shalim shor What is it? Oh, kino da no, the Veloish Miranu. Oh, Veloish Miranu. Okay, Veloish Miranu. What? Shalim, Shalim. Shalim, Shalim. Okay, fine. Shalim, Shalim. Okay, so that's full. Okay, fine. Thank you. Okay, so, let's see what Reish Lakish's answer is. Um, I'm Reish Lakish. Hakola you bechlal chat nezek shalem. Here, it doesn't say re'ehu. Right? Here it doesn't say re'ehu. It just says one ox scored another. So if I only had this pasuk, I would say whether has your had your, whether hektesh. If I just started with this, my default would be you're always going to pay full. Okay. If the Torah had never written this parsha, it just said this thing. Of course, it says nagachumit moshelshah. But whatever. If I just said this parsha, I would say you always pay full and you always pay everyone full. There's no word of re'ehu. So the default is everybody pays everything full. Okay. So hakolay b'chalal nezekshon kishapart l'chalakasiv re'ehu gabe tam. When it went up here and said re'ehu by tam, re'ehu de tam eshalim chati nezek. Michal de hektish bein tam bein muad meshalim nezek shein. Shalim. He says ah. So what this is saying is if you are your if you, normally you pay full. If it happens to be that it's your neighbor's ox 
and it's the first three times, you're going to pay half. Okay, meaning that hectares, which isn't your neighbor's ox, the first three times will pay how much? Full. We start with the default of full, and then you work down to a half. So a hectares remains full, only your reyeu is half. Okay, that explains how you get from the plus that hectares pays full. But we're still left with the problem. Then say the same thing when a head yote, when a, when a, when a, when a, so, so if you're goring hectares, you pay full. Right? Because only when you gore a head yote, you pay half. When you gore hectares, you pay full. So say the same in reverse. When hectares scores you, it pays full. Right? If this, if users starting this way, we basically start by full, everyone, and then this is, oh, one minute. If, 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 uh, if, if you're goring your reyeu, you pay half. If you're goring hectic, you're going to still pay full. So then say when hectic scores you, it still pays full. Okay? So the Gemara doesn't answer that. Let's just read the last line of the Gemara, and I'll tell you what Rashi says. The If it wanted to exclude paying at all, paying full payment, it should have said by muah. Since it says it by half, what it's really telling you is that everybody is full, and when you gore hectic, and, and you only pay half when you gore your friend's ox, when you gore hectic's ox, you still pay full, fine. But then still, why don't you say that hectic is going to pay full when it gores you? So Rashi basically says, so Rashi's answer to that, and I have to remember if I can, if I can re- re- recall Rashi's answer, one minute. I know. Um, I don't know. I, I can't. Oh, hold on. Hectic is goring you. Half. You gore hectic. Yeah, Rashi says like this. Rashi focuses on also the word ish. Okay? So, he says like this. He says, in the case of you goring hectesh, it's, it's a short ish, it's your ox, but it's not goring shoreyehu, so it's your ox which gored something, not shoreyehu, so it doesn't get to go half, it's going to have to be full. Okay, that's how you read it. If you, your ox gores hectesh, okay? Is kigach shoreyesh correct? Is it your ox? Yes. Okay. Did it go ashore Yehu? No. no. So you're not going to get to pay half. You're going to have to go back to pay full. That's why your ox pays full by hectic. Let's say it's hectic's ox. Okay. So, Kigach Shore Ish. One minute. Is it hectic's ox? No. Is it an Ish's ox? No. So, it's a hectic. It's not an Ish's ox. So, if it's not even begins, somehow the logic is if it doesn't begin to be in this parsha, then it all starts, then, then it all starts at zero. You have to like initially get into here. Oh, you're in here. You don't pay half. If you don't pay half, you're going to pay full. But Hektish doesn't even get into the opening Parsha because it's not even short-ish. That's somewhat of Rashi's answer. Anyway, we'll accept it and move on. Okay? <laughs> so, somehow, he's going to learn from the Pasuk this imbalance, but it's obviously a big problem of this problem of the lack of parallel. And now we're going to continue with this with the non-Jew where the Gemara is going to significantly switch tracks. Okay. Um, I have to just say about this theme about Shurei Eyu, I can't not mention, of course, the famous Ibn Ezra because he quotes a Karite... 
a, a commentator who I forget who he quotes Ben Zuta or something like that who says something like means one ox scores its fellow ox so <laughs> as the friend of the ox so even as it says an ox has no has no friend except for this Ben Zuta guy <laughs> so anyway alright but uh, yes that you can't right can't be hectic because hectic you can't testify against it right um, and that's how you can't move from Tom to Muad yes that's correct okay alright so let's go on so now the Gemara says like this or so now we're going to have the same problem and for whatever reason even though we seem to have uh, figured it out above by Hectish at least going to Kim and Menasya that we're, we're going to still we're going to have once again the same problem okay look make up your mind means it I'm just going to read this Tanakhi Tanakhi ki nagati Yisrael nami lifter so then you should be exempt in both directions Yireu lav dafka if it doesn't have a technical meaning so afil Yisrael ki nagati knani nichayev so Tanakhi thank you afil Yisrael so then nichayev in both directions okay how are you putter in one direction and chayev in the other just like the Hekdish's question according to Reb Shem and Demnasia Anu Rebbe Yavar Omer cross the Reb and trying to squeeze it into the Psukim which we maybe somehow managed to do a minute ago here we're going to say a completely different take on this. The verse says, God stood and he measured out the land. He saw and he vayater, somehow he permitted or whatever, we'll see what vayater means, the nations. Yeah. God looked and he he measured out the land. He assessed people's observance of the mitzvot and he assessed the seven mitzvot that the Bnei Noach had been commanded and that they had accepted upon themselves. Once God realized that they had not been living up to their obligations, so Vayater Goyim means He made their now property free to Israel. God is fining, imposing a fine on the nations of the land. Since you guys are not doing the Bnei Noah, the, the mitzvahs Bnei Noah, uh, the Jews have the right not to have to pay you when they damage you. Right, I know. Well, what can I tell you? It's not a fair system. We get other types of. We get we get two thousand years of oppression. Okay, so anyway. Um, so, so this is this is his explanation. Now, the the question here is, um, what does this mean? So, if you, does that mean that we can steal from them, or does that mean that, like in these types of cases, where it's a case of determining do you have to pay damages and so on, the law can always operate in favor of the Jews. So, if you look at Tosfos, Amad Vitir Mamonam Yisrael, Tosfos or could be either we don't have to pay them that's also a question what's the Hitra Mamonam that we don't have to pay them that's where or but Hitra Mamonam also allows a more active thing that we can make them pay us Okay, even though you know, pay us even full. But even either way, it's still in the context of it's not straight stealing, right? It's basically in the context of damages. It's being compensated for damages. So within that question of paying or not paying for damages, there's more. You know, we can sort of t- you know make the law on our advantage. Ava, Gezel, this should be goy 
or Nachri, I think it is, Gezel Nachri, Aser, Nicha. If your general position is you're not allowed to steal from non-Jews, you understand. You understand why you need a special Pasuk here and why the Pasuk here has limited applicability. It applies to these issues of allowing you to be compensated without you being obligated to pay compensation. But if your position is in general, yet you're allowed to steal from non-Jews, obviously a very difficult Gemara. That's where it says Knani and Knani Anath and whatever. We're going to come up with that in about, uh, in about 70 days. It's whatever it is if it, anyway um, then it's a, why do you need this Pasuk if you like to steal of course you don't have to pay you don't even need this Pasuk okay so I mean maybe it's a little different here you're doing it within the courts there it's a personal act or whatever anyway but uh, the certainly Tosus is correct that the shot of this Sugya is that nobody is giving license to outright theft but regarding this question of can you demand po- compensation are you obligated in compensation we have more latitude because of this principle of Ahmad Vihitar Mamonam Yisrael now the other question is does that Amad Vihitar Mamonam is the logic here that it's a type of a knas God is punishing them and you know what we might as well be the beneficiaries okay but basically you know they're just being punished and that's sort of the logic behind it or is there some deeper rational logic here and what it's saying is if you understand that the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach are basically you know you know Mendelssohn's way of thinking of the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach was it was the Jewish idea of natural law but if you sort of think of it as some like basic laws of morality and of society then if the, then the statement that they're not doing the Sheva Mitzvah is not just a witch of a it's like they're not keeping Shabbos so they're going to get punished you know no it basically is saying that they're not participating in civilized society if that was Chazal's view of it and we have to understand of course that those writing the Mishnah lived in Eretz Yisrael under Roman rule and under the uh, oppressive you know Roman rule and so on so if their view is that they are not participants in civil society then you can understand a little bit more why it's saying that like we have to just protect our own interests whenever interacting with them and therefore you know we're going to take a compensation and not pay compensation they don't actually you know you know they're always oppressing and stealing and doing whatever from each other and from us so that also maybe helps understand a little bit what that's about okay so for example if you look back on Lamed Zayin Amud Bet this seems to be what informed the Rambab's explanation of this in Parish Mishnayis if you look at the bottom lower right hand corner of Lamed Zayin Amud Bet you know, obviously this Gemara is very difficult and it's not enough just to have the word Kanani in it. So there are a lot of these side marginal notes that try to, you know, for the sake primarily of uh, the non-Jews, but try to give some context to what's being said. So if you look at this lower, at this note here in the lower right, it says like this, Because of a Rambam, Bilchos Nizke Mamon, Parachet Halacha, hey, Lefishain, do you have this? Where it says, where a little Aleph in brackets? I don't know what it says in by yours. Mine is just a little note here in the lower right. Because of a Rambam. Okay, you don't have that? Anyway, yeah, look, they don't, you know, they don't make people pay when they do damage, so why should we pay them when we damage them? Okay. Yeah, but that's the argument. That's why we don't have to pay them. Yeah, now how about the next one? How about the full damages? So you look at the next statement. Because of a Rambam Sham, Knatsu, why do we make them pay us? Knatsu, Legoyim, not Knatsu, whatever. 
So he doesn't say he doesn't just say stam. It means that they're like, you know, oh, you know, they eat Aver Minachai. That's the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noah. No! It means that they're not participating in civil society. They themselves are not careful about preventing their animals from going around and damaging. So therefore, we have a right to take full compensation. So it seems that I think what the Rambam is doing is sort of reading that into understand, you know, into what Rabbi Avo is saying here. It's not just Stam. Look, they're not doing Aver Minachai. We can take their money. It's that they're not participating in sort of civil society and in protecting people from being damaged and so on. And therefore, that gives us more latitude in these types of rules. Okay, so that's, I think, a different way of understanding Rebbe Avahu. There was some question out here before. No? Okay. Uh, yeah. Yes, but... I mean, the, the Rishonim then come and say, but however, the dark is shalom, you should pay them. Yeah, I mean, not all the Rishonim or whatever, but there's a, there's a development of the halacha that this gap gets closed definitely by, by some, not all, but by some later post Okay? Okay, let's take a look. Um... By the way, if you want to see again how this gets, uh, uh, you know, qualified, you know, because of the harshness of the statement, now on that, back to Lamechad, if you look at the lower left corner in the Shito Mekubet says, it says the following, um, Ah, but if they're good law-abiding citizens, we wouldn't have these differences. Quoting the Mi'iri, so therefore nations that actually are law-abiding and have, you know, religiously constrained with ethical laws and so on, then these differences would not apply. And so, I don't know if we, I don't know exactly, but let, I don't know. But the point is, we would not have this obvious injustice. Okay? And if you want to look at the next one, Mamonim Yisrael, Kolomar Ra'ash Echazarim V'Lev Ra'lahem. V'Shitim Nekubetis now. Bez. Kolomar Ra'ash Echazarim V'Lev Ra'lahem. Again, translating it not just as, oh, they don't keep mitzvot, but they don't care about damages that other people suffer. You know, they're completely un, you know, uh, disregarding of people's safety and their protection of their money. Okay? So the Sheva Umos is clearly, you know, a way of distancing it, those other nations. But again, what's significant to us is two things. On the, on the one hand, you can see here a impetus in terms of trying to, you know, uh, protect from uh, criticism and anger from the, uh, you know, from the Christians or the non-Jews who would read this and know about this. Maybe an, maybe an own sense of self-awareness of the difficulty, the discomfort about these types of distinctions. But I think interestingly, there is an attempt, and I think that that might actually be what is at the root of Rebbe Avohu to say this is not just arbitrary oh yeah they're Rishayim we can just take we can take advantage of them they don't do mitzvahs it's specifically to explain that they're not doing mitzvahs has to do with them not participating in civilized society them being a danger to us and to our money them not caring about these types of laws and so on which actually can give some rational justification for saying you know that we don't have to pay them but we can demand full compensation so it's a much more lot an attempt to make a much more rational Rational connection, rather than just a broad justification to take advantage of them. Yes. It's interesting that the Shita Mikubetos is kind of pegging his interpretation on the censored 
version of the text, right? Because it's Kananim. It means seven mitzvahs. It means the, the Shigoma. No, no, no. He did not have the first. He did not have what you're seeing here is a not a gloss of the text, but an early attempt to con- to yeah, to yeah. contextualize it. He did not have the word Kananim. He had the word Nachrim. No, he did not. He had the word Nachrim. But what he's saying is. Uh, but he's quoting Rabbeinu Yehonah's son. Rabbeinu Yehonah's son, Iluniel, is like a, yeah, like 12th century or something. But what, it, what you're seeing is the same move. You know, this is, it, it is a desire to say we, this, this is too deeply, mo- either too problematic because of what others will say, or too deeply morally problematic. So we have to say it doesn't mean, you know, normal non-Jews. It means a special type of non-Jews. What then happened was, was that then actually got found its way into a gloss in the text itself. Okay? All right. So, we're having fun. See, I told you it was a fun daft today. Okay, back to the Gemara. Um... Tiny Lami Hachi, we talked. I'm sorry. Um, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says on the following verse. Interesting, by the way, that both Rabbi Yavo and Rabbi Yochanan were Amorayim living in Eretz Israel. Eretz Israel consistently had it worse from their non Jewish uh, government than, the, uh, than in Bavel. Rabbi Yochanan, Amar Mehacha, from the following verse. Hofia Mehar Paran. Meparan Hofia Mamonim Israel. God revealed himself at Har Paran. At Har Paran, he made their money permissible to Israel. So this might be a slightly different point because if this is referring to the giving of the Torah Har Sinai, it might be a way of saying that if you look at Rashi that they didn't accept the Torah you know the famous thing about God says to Bnei Esav well, they say what's in it though murder no I'm sorry we can't take it what's in it though yeah we can't take it but that's a little different I mean on the one hand they're not accepting the Torah it doesn't mean they're violating their mitzvot it just means that they're not accepting more mitzvot right but nevertheless if you go, if you, if you, if the Gemara needs to be plugging into that midrash, why are they not accepting the Torah? Not because they say we can't keep Shabbos, we can't keep Kilayim, because they're saying we can't keep the Yisurim about stealing and murder and so on. So it's the same point, you know. It's not that they're violating the mitzvahs they were given, but it sort of is demonstrating this violent, you know, anti-social nature that you know through this through the eyes of Chazal. Okay, so that seems to be sort of the common denominator here. Okay, so the Gemara says. Like this. Um, okay, my my Rav Masna, what are these other things, ways of reading the pasuk? The Amar Rav Masna, Amar Vayimodet Eretz Vavayater Goyim Mara. What did God see? Rav Shavu Mitzvah Sheni Stavolein B'Nei Noach. He saw the seven mitzvahs they were commanded. The Lord Kimum and they weren't fulfilling them. Amar Vihiklo Tamei Alas Masam. He didn't make their money permissible to Israel. He exiled them the same way he exiled us. The same way the Torah says that if we sin, we're going to be exiled. When they sin, they were exiled. Okay, Umay Mashma, so it has no relevance to these halachas. Right. The high, right. Vay Vayater Lishna Dagluyehu. What do you see? Vayater means sent them into exile. Ksivacha Vayater Goyim. Ksivacham Linater Bahin Al Aretz by the grasshoppers to jump on the land. So you're moving. You're jumping on the land. You're moving from one place to another. Umetagim Lekafsa Bahon Al Aretz to jump on the land. My, that's one way of reading. A different way of reading. But my Rav Yosef. What's Rav Yosef? She's he saw the seven missiles, the low kimun that they were not fulfilling. He said, Fine, you don't want to keep it, forget it. 
You don't have to keep it. Okay? <laughs> so the says, Itzgure, Itzgur! What? Like, you know, I, there's no good way of translating Itzgure, Itzgur. But anyway, says, are, are, are you crazy? No, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how they to translate. But like, you know, the opposite makes sense. The sinner is rewarded. Oh, you're sinning so much? Forget it. We're not, you're not going to be bound by it anymore. No, here's what it means. It doesn't mean you're not going to be held accountable. You're not going to be punished. It means the opposite. Even if you choose to do it, you're not going to receive reward. Okay? If you don't do it, you'll be punished. But now that you have shown such complete categorical disregard and a way of thinking about it, you sort of see yourself as Eina of Yosef, which is where the Gemara is going to go. You don't see yourself as being obligated anymore. You have such complete categorical disregard. So even when you're doing it, you're just doing it by chance, right? You're not doing it out of a sense of commandedness. So therefore, even when you do it, you don't get rewarded because you're no longer seeing yourself as commanded. When you violate, you're still going to get punished. But when you do it, you're not going to get rewarded. Okay. What? He was, he here, he made it, he released them from it, but right, not released them from the restrictions, he released them from, with, from the reward, from the perce- from the sense of commandedness that would entitle them to reward. The problem about, about that is though, but you're still getting a civil society that way. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. No, it means even if by chance they're doing it, they're not getting reward. That seems to be the point, right? That's why fundamentally they're not doing it. So if it happens that they did it, they're not going to get rewarded. Okay? What? what? I mean, and they're not going to start doing it now if they're not even right. rewarded. Right. Exactly. Well, that's a good point. That's all. That's still right. They're not. You're not a chote but it's not helpful to get them back on the right track. That's a good point too. Below, do they really not get rewarded? Vatani, we turn to the brisa. Rabbi Meir Omer, minayin shafilu nochri. Finally, it says nochri because we're about to say something good. Okay, minayin shafilu nochri. Those say petara. How do you know if it's even a a non-Jew who 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 involves himself in the Torah? Now, there's some later question about Osei Petorah the Gemara seems to interpret it as like oh, like Lasok Torah means learns Torah but in this context and in Pshad in the Tanaitic sources Osei Petorah only means does the mitzvot of the Torah so that's clearly the original meaning and that's clearly at least the first meaning in this context so we're talking about doing mitzvot we're not talking about learning Torah how do you know even a non-Jew who, who are a foreigner right who does the mitzvot of the Torah gets rewarded like a Kohen Gadol um um um, uh, again, we're talking about doing the mitzvahs, right? Not learning. That a human will do them. It doesn't say in Israel will do the mitzvahs. Any human that does it. Anybody, even a non-Jew, who does Torah gets as much reward as a Kohen Gadol. Oh, so you see that they are rewarded for the mitzvahs they do and anyway by the way that's even more that sounds like they even rewarded for doing our mitzvahs which leads to a really fascinating question there's a Rambam that says that a non-Jew who does any mitzvah in the Torah gets rewarded like an Ena mitzvah of Yosef and the Rambam applies it even to a mitzvah like you ready for this? Bris Mila mm-hmm. you think Bris Mila is the only meaningful for Yisrael anyway and he's like no any mitzvah you get rewarded okay so, so they get rewarded too. apparently okay so that's what Rebbe Mayer is saying. So how can you say they're not rewarded? Um, so it says, This is sort of what I was already anticipating this in my earlier statements. They, yes, they get rewarded, but they don't get rewarded as if they were commanded in doing. Now, not only does that apply to the mitzvahs of Tayag Mitzvot of Yisra 
Al, there's a real Yarena Mitzvah of Yosef, okay? But what it's saying is so, even the Sheva Mitzvah of Noach, because you're no longer seeing yourself as commanded, because you're basically seeing, you've categorically rejected it, even when you're doing it, you're doing it not out of a sense of commandedness, and you will not be rewarded as Mitzvah of Yosef. You'll be rewarded at the level of Eina Mitzvah Yosef. Rabbi Hanin, if you don't keep it, you're going to get punished. It's greater to you out of a sense of commandiness, or and that that's your obligation rather than out of volitional. Now, two comments. That's a very rich Gemara. Two comments I want to make. Number one is the Goy Osek Patora. Okay, Tosos understands that it means Talmud Torah, which is not shot of this Gemara. But if you look at the Tosos Harei Kohen Gadol, he says Hadenach Kohen Gadol. He says Mishum Jedoshinu Besota Yikarhi Mipninim. The Torah is dearer than pearls. Mikohen Gadol Hanichtas Lifnai Vlifnim. The Kohen Gadol who goes into the innermost chamber. That is a drasha that says even a Mamzer Talmud Chacham comes before a Kohen Gadol Amaaret. So the idea of a Kohen Gadol or whatever, Setosos, that's a hierarchy of status as opposed to a hierarchy of Torah, of Torah knowledge. Okay, but that is not... Setosos connects this idea to the Goy learning Torah and about a hierarchy of learning Torah, but that's not shot in this Gemara. More significantly, though, about this whole thing is that... Um, there's a, a great article I read about this that came out in, in, in the volume Akhtamot about 10 years ago by uh, Yonatan Feintuch, specifically on this staff of the Gemara. Anyway, he points out that what the Bavli has done is, the Bavli, while quoting obviously this problematic law of this difference between Jew and non-Jew with the goring ox, is consistently nuancing it and problematizing it. And the first thing that it did was, number one, saying, A, there might be different reads of the Psukim. Okay, that was not so, so, so big because it was still having this basic but then right after we're saying the non-Jews don't keep seven mitzvahs b'nei Noach we can take advantage of them when their ox gores we're having a statement of Rebbe Meir that is saying you know asher yasehotam hadam kohen levi yisraelo nemar ela adam right that gives a basic sort of universalist approach that any human being an anti-hierarchical approach like a chosenness b'nei Israel approach any human being who does Torah is rewarded gets to the same level as the most chosen as the kohen Gadol and so on. Right? And that is coming juxtaposed to all these not only negative halachot, but they're not keeping the Sheva Mitzvot and so on. So it automatically says, you know, it's not so black and white. They're not all Rishayim. Okay? You know, and there's some that actually do it and actually they can reach a very high level and so on and whatever. So it's like immediately problematizing, you know, it's not completely embracing a rah-rah Rebbe Meir type of an approach because it says, etc. But it's also saying, you know, it's not so black and white the way we look at the other. Okay? So it's very powerful and it's going to continue to problematize our, meaning problematize in a good way, you know, the attitude towards non-Jews. Wait, so okay? according to our mayor then, if we damage their ox, if they're... Again, I don't know. He's not making a statement about Nezek, about civil law. But it's putting a very different way of looking at the non-Jews. Okay, now, by the way, um, this passage in the, in the uh, it appears in the uh, Sifra, and it's not Rebbe Mayer there, it's a different one, it's a Reb Nuhurai or whatever, anyway, but it's an extended passage that looks at a lot of psukim that say Adam, you know, or to, here, here's another one, by the way, or not Adam, but it uses a more generic word, it says, um, uh, something like, 
Chusharim Vayavo Goy Tzadik comes the righteous nation and he says Yisraelim Kohanim Vayilvi'im Kohanim Levim Yisraelim Lo Nemer Ela Goy Tzadik Asiu Goy Vaosek Patora Okay, so the, the, the righteous nation which clearly in the Pshat of the Psukim is who is the righteous nation it's Yisrael he says no that means any Goy any Goy to be a Goy Tzadik and the deserving of the reward so it's an extended passage that talks about that's of a universalist ethos that talks really about like any you know about the level that anybody can reach okay like if you take a look at the first wide line of Tosos he says you know over there in the Sifra there's an extended passage like this God does good to those who are good Okay, so it's a very extended passage about looking at all these psukim that say, you know, not so particularistic. So it's a really a fascinating, a very different approach than we normally get, and here it's being juxtaposed. Of course, Tosus is discussing it because Tosus is bringing in other Gemarot that are very problematic. Other Gemarot that say the word Adam is meant to exclude an Anju. Right? That's very problematic, just the hermeneutics. Who cares what the halacha is? The hermeneutics that you're saying Adam means to exclude a non-Jew is like the, the exact opposite of the thrust of this passage and Tosos discusses that okay yeah, what right yeah. that to some degree they're not even fully human yeah, right so alright you can read Tosos you'll see his answers okay and it could be a debate of tonight how to read that word anyway so what you have though here is this very positive idea about non-Jews in the end we say but it certainly nuances and balances um, what we've been saying but nevertheless they damage Right, we're not we're not challenging the halacha necessarily, but we are definitely complicating the picture. Now, one more thi- one last thing, very quickly. I just can't resist saying is within a, good, compl- a different discussion of how to view contemporary no- non-Jewish religions. Do you view them as Ovdei Avodah or not? Right, the uh, non-Jewish faith. Right, so it's a whole question about how to view that. Um, and you know, there's a prince, and specifically Christianity, and the fact that they have the idea of the incarnation and Trinity and that would sort of not be a you know consistent with a Jewish monotheistic idea Do, are they considered or not there are some postgim one or two it's very rare that want to use this Gemara as a way of being more inclusive because they will go back to the original statement of God released them from the Sheva Mitzvot as a way even though the Gemara rejected that you know it says they're still punished but as a way of saying like we're not going to consider what you do anymore to be real Avodah <laughs> so one, it's like it's certainly not shot of what the Gemara is saying but like one to actually go back to that hitir lahen not to say they don't get rewarded but they're not held exactly as accountable as they used to be and that can be give us a basis for an- another basis for more inclusion alright yeah but yes correct but that's specifically tying it into this Russia okay let's go back now to the Gemara okay Tadu um, Rabbanan our rabbis taught the Roman government the original Gersa was Malchus Harisha the evil government but it got switched to the Roman government means the Roman government anyway the Roman government already sent two uh, officers um, now exactly what a Sarditot are um, is an interesting question I'm sure somebody's going to tell me what Scheinzel says but Lieberman points out that there actually is evidence that the Roman government um, went through a uh, process of sending out legal scholars to different 
uh, uh, you know, nations um, and to different civilizations to study their laws. And that's, he, he understands as the context of this story. Okay, so whether Sardiotot is understood, I think it more, usually means more like officers, is that how it's only interpreted, but Lieberman understands specifically that it means legal scholars. Okay, Eso Chachme Yisrael, to the sages of Israel. Lindunu Toratechem, teach us your Torah. Karavashan of they read it two and three times, they got it, learned it in great depth. Rishyoshu, um, 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 where are we? Rishyoshu, when they went to leave, Amrulam, they said to them, we have gone through your entire Torah extremely precisely, carefully. The Emetu, it is truth. Chutz midavazet, with one exception. Shatim homi, you say, Shorshay Israel shall not, Shorshay cannot, shall not be potter, shall not be shall not, Shorshay Israel, and Dami Momishan is a shalim. That doesn't make any sense. Mimalavshach, I don't understand it. It's not logical. Ireu dafka, feeling the Kanani Kinoch, the Israeli potter. Ireu means that then you should be exempt even uh, even when Israel gores the nudges. The Ireu lav dafka, it doesn't mean afilu Israel Kinoch, the Nochi Lechayim. Then you should be high full in both directions. But translations from the Latin. Yeah, exactly. But but the double is We're going to do you a favor. We're not going to tell the government on you. Okay. Now that's the end of the story. Now I do have to say again two quick things about this story. Number or a few quick things. Number one is this the Ireu Dafka Miman of Shach is clearly a gloss into this story. It's Aramaic. It's borrowed from the earlier Gemara. The original text just said, you know, this one thing doesn't make sense now if you just said that this is the one thing that we don't like why don't why do they not like it because it's just similar not because it's logically inconsistent I don't get how you read it from the puzzle is it for a lot no the problem is, is that it's discriminatory it's morally offensive okay but the Gemara by inserting the Aramaic problem of Bimonashach turned it into you know they just have a logical problem they weren't bothered at a deep level about the ethics of it by the way that's also consistent with the idea of Kol Taraskan Emes the Yushalmi's version of this story says your entire Torah is Noe Umishubachat is praiseworthy and this thing isn't praiseworthy right this thing is offensive the Gemara frames it as it's all true this thing is illogical so it downplays the problematics right of this thing by making it just a logical problem and not a moral problem alright so it's interesting as well there's other differences between our version and the Yerushalmi one thing is the Yerushalmi says that they that they pretended to be Jews they they, 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 they presented themselves as Jews our Gemara doesn't and that's very consistent with the immediate previous statement of Rebbe Meir which is not the sense of this like uh, um, uh, uh, you know uh, what's the protectiveness to what I'm looking for um, control I'm, I'm, I'm grasping how to work here but anyway the sense of keeping the Torah to, you, to ourselves right? Rabbi Meir says that the Torah is open to all so people can come and tell us that they're from Rome and we'll teach them Torah right? but the Yerushalmi sort of said no 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 they had to present themselves as if they were Jews and um, the Yerushalmi also says that, that, that on their way back to Rome they, they were uh, they, they, God made them forget everything so that they, could, they really couldn't report anything or maybe they were punished or whatever it is again this Gemara here is less uh, critical of them you know what they said made sense and uh, they were nice they said they wouldn't tell Malchus so anyway it's again it's interesting some differences between this version and the Yerushalmi version yes the Yerushalmi saying they have to make themselves into 
or pretend to be Jews, I mean, right. the Talmud teaches them Torah. So what do you do with our mayor's statement that the Nachi Osik Well, uh, the doesn't have Rebbe Mayor's statement. Again, that's why Argamar has problematized things in a way that the Rishalmi has not. But the Bali also has things that you can't. All right, but this Gemara has not. This Gemara is trying to counterbalance some of the negative aspects of the prior thing. All right, yes. It's a pretty weak. I understand. Anyway, I, one last thing is that the Maharshal, the Amshel Shlomo says, I don't understand, he says, why don't they just lie to them? Why do they have to teach them this halacha? Right? Especially it was an oral Torah at that time. They couldn't say, oh, look, the Gemara says, so the Maharshal, and he says, aren't they afraid that it's going to, that it would lead to some type of reprisal from the Roman government? So the Maharshal says, from here we see that it is forbidden to misrepresent Torah even if it was to lead to Pikuach Nefesh. So, now it doesn't mean you have to tell them everything. It doesn't really fully explain it. Don't teach them anything don't misrepresent anyway but that's an interesting discussion as well okay don't come to the yeshiva today because we're going <laughs> to well that's the question do they just sit in the yeshiva or do they have special classes alright so the Gemara says like this okay another great story here that again complicates the picture in a positive way about non-Jews his daughter died so the rabbi said to Ula let's go and give him tanchumim. let's go and pay a shiva call he said to these, uh, you know, the, the colleagues at the yeshiva, my easy gabi nechemta debavloi. Well, I don't want to participate with your shivakar, with your nichum avelim. I don't like the way the Babylonians do nichum avelim. Ulo was from Eretz Yisrael. When they do nichum avelim, it winds up being a form of blasphemy. Why? The only because what do they say to the Persian sitting shiva? They say to him. Look, what could have been done? There was nothing that could have been done. You know, why is that blasphemy? Because it suggests, If something could have been done, then you would have. You're not fully accepting God's fate, God's decree. Which is funny. If you said, like, there's nothing that could have been done, that sounds like a very much accept God's decree. But it's like, you couldn't have done anything. But if you could have done anything, you would have tried to subvert God's decree. So he has a very harsh, you know, he, he has, what? I understand. Ula has a very sort of harsh view on things, already theologically harsh. Let's keep on reading. Okay? Um, he went by himself, Kabe. Amrle. Uh, Ula went. And he said to him, Hashem, God said a lie to Moshe. Uh, do not, you know, conflict Moab and do not great wage war. What, Moshe Stam on his own was going to wage war? Um, yeah, he made a he said the following: The Midianites that came to help Moab. Right? Remember, Moab hired hired uh, Bilam. There we go. It's this week's. This is it. This week's parsha. No, coming up soon. Anyway, what? Korach. Right. Right. We got two to go. Okay. I knew it was one of those names. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> they went to hire Bilam. You know, and you know, uh, Moab sort of was the whole instigators of the whole thing, and the Midianim just came to assist. Go ahead and fight against the Midianites. Of course, we should wage war against the Moabites. They were the ones that started this whole thing. Don't fight against Moab. And here's what we're getting to. Not like you think, is the way I think. 
Shtei Predos Tovot Yechli Lahotzi Mehan. I have two beautiful doves to take out of them, out of Ammon and Moab. Ruth HaMoavia, Ruth the Moabite, the Nama HaAmonit, Nama the Ammonite, who was a wife of Shlomo, the, the mother of, uh, of, uh, of Rechavam. Um, that, uh, and, and therefore, do not, do not wage war against them. Yes, they were wicked, but something good will come out. So how is this relevant to Nicham Avelim? Look, buddy, you can make father sitting shiva, you can make a kavachomer. For two little doves, for two little, you know, descendants, God had compassion over these large nations, even though Moab was wicked. The low and didn't destroy them. So, Bito Sharebi, your daughter, in if some good progeny would have ever descended from her, so, uh, how much more so would she have lived? <laughs> so, don't say, yeah, she deserved it. Nothing good would have come out of her anyway. Because if anything good would have come out of her, she wouldn't have died, except God's decree. God knows what God is doing. She did not take any classes in pastoral counseling. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> Jenna is completely aghast, as she rightfully should be. So, anyway, this is, of course, this is, of course, is like the worst example of like anybody ever saw that like YouTube video of like how to pay a civil call? This is worse, okay? Anyway, anyway, what is it doing here? What it's doing here is it's telling you you could have an entire nation that you think is wicked that actually waged war and tried to destroy Israel and they're not all bad. They would deserve to be saved because something good would eventually come out of them. Right? So that obviously makes really complicates a way of looking at non-Jews in this negative light. Even if they completely appear wicked, there could always be something good that can come out of it. Right? So very interesting how these positive Gemaras are being presented right after this very harsh halacha. Let's, well, it's not positive in terms of nichum avelim, but positive and... Right, but if you're dealing with people that see the Romans as completely evil, right? Even if they're completely evil, it's not like... You're saying it's not countering the fact that they're completely Right, but it's not making a statement about Romans, it's speaking specifically about Amon and Moab, right? Okay, anyway, so let's read a little bit more. Um, a little payment, persona, persona non grata in that household. Right. Uh, uh, powerful to have a Holocaust survivor. Right. Acknowledge that there were some Polish people who were excellent point. Right. 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 You know, no. racist at the funeral. Right. 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 Reward does any that, that any creature deserves, even some small good thing. A scar even just for for a little nice speech. The Yubhira, the older daughter, now we're going to the mothers of Ammon and Moab, right? The daughters of Lot. The older daughter, the Kamra Moab, um, so Moab is more explicit, Mayav, descended from the father, right? He had sex with her father. Do not afflict Moab and do not wage war. 
You can't wage war. You can impose on them a like a, a tax, like you can make them, you know, subject. A, a, what's it called? Not a levy. What would they they do to these uh, subject nations? They make them a tribute. A tribute. Okay. Um, now, but Seira, the Kamar Ben Ami, but the younger daughter who said the son of my nation, which was less explicit, so she was a little bit. She was more Sanua. You're getting close to Amon. Do not wait. Do not sort of in, you know uh, engage them at all. Not just do not wage war against them. Don't have any type of conflict with them. Don't even make them pay a tribute. So again, what's also here positive about non-Jews, besides that God rewards people, is that the acts of Benot of Benot Lot in other midrashim is used as evidence with how licentious the non-Jews are. Look at how licentious they are. Look at this incest. Look at all of this. Here, it's being framed as, look at this great mitzvah that, or, well, we're not yet up to that they did a mitzvah, but look at how Tsanua, at least, the younger daughter was. Zemra, and now we're going to get to the fact about that they were, that it was a mitzvah. It wasn't, it wasn't licentiousness. Zemra, person should always run to do a mitzvah. Um, although the Bechira was a little bit less careful with her language, but she was the one that jumped forth and she was the one that slept with her father first. And because of that one night that she beat her younger sister to the mitzvah, Kadmasa Arbadars for Israel. Her progeny got into the Jewish people four generations earlier. Why? Because Ruth married Boaz, right? And then you have four generations, Ovad Yishai David and Shlomo, and then Naamah Monique married Shlomo. So the Ammonites came four generations, and both of them married into the, you know, sort of a, 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 a royal family, and but that one came four generations later. The Ilutzira Ad and the younger one, the Ammon, right, the, the mother of the Ammonites. So her daughter was the mother. I mean, her descendant was the mother of Rechavam, Shlomo's, Shlomo's wife. Okay. So anyway, so again, right after this very harsh, we're not changing the halacha, but we have really complicated things. We've had Rabbi Meir's statement about even Goish Asak Petorah Hareuk Kohen Gadol. He's called Adam. I love calling Levim Elim Lo Nemar, and so on. You know, even these little descendants here, even something that looks completely wicked. You know, there could be positive descendants, and then taking the story of the mothers of, uh, you know, that the progenitors of Ammon and Moab that other midrashim bring as evidence about how licentious, you know, the non-Jews are as evidence about these tremendous mitzvot and why they merited and the modesty and so on. So it's really very interesting the way the Bavli sort of complicates the picture in a good way, you know, from this very challenging Gemara that we just read. Okay. Told you it was a good Gemara today. <laughs> <laughs>